Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, May 11th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Outline. We'll talk about the upcoming NHL playoffs. We'll talk quickly about this week's golf tournament, the AT&T Byron Nelson at a new course down in Texas. Uh, Maybe we'll work in some NASCAR at Dover. Maybe talk a little bit of Preakness on today's show as well. Lots of stuff coming your way in rapid fire fashion here on this edition of ATS Radio. My daily MLB article will be on hiatus from tomorrow until next Tuesday, but a good breakdown of all the games here for today, May 11th, with five suggested picks for me in that article. Got the situational articles up over there at the website. UFC 262 preview is up. Golf tournament preview is up. Lots of stuff going on for you to check out over there at the website. And make sure you download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store, or in the Apple Store, a bet tracker, an odd screen, stats database, article integration from the website. You can buy a subscription to the premium model. Lots of things going on in that ATS app for you to check out. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. And Brian, how's it going today, man? All right, bud. Crazy. I mean, there really is. It's like we've settled in. There's a lot going on. You know, like marquee thing. I don't know. I mean, we got the PGA coming up in a couple of weeks, but there's just an army of stuff coming up. It's going to be good. Yeah, a whole lot of things. Like I did a video, a couple of videos for you, which I think were fun and interesting for the NFL offensive and defensive rookies of the year, which just to me means with all we got going on right now, that football's really not that far away. No, it's really not. And I'll get those two videos posted this afternoon. And in fact, coincidentally, and, you know, works out very well here. I actually wrote up a couple of articles over the weekend about the offensive and defensive rookie of the year odds. So I'll be able to put those videos in those two articles that I've written. I saw NFL season win totals went out yesterday as well at one of the U.S. sports books. Not sure which one, but yeah, we're starting to think football, NHL playoffs begin on Saturday, NBA playoffs. That'll start. I believe next Tuesday or next Wednesday, something like that. Then, of course, all these golf tournaments, NASCAR, UFC stuff. Very busy time of year here, to say the least. And, Brian, we got a handful of regular season games left in the NHL. Two tonight, five on Wednesday, three on Thursday, one Friday, one Saturday. And then we've got Calgary and Vancouver presumably playing out the string here from Sunday to Wednesday of next week. We'll see if those games wind up even getting played. But, In these last remaining regular season games here, Brian, you and I were talking about it before the show that a lot of things are decided. Every playoff team is decided already, but there are some seeding considerations left in play over the next three days. Yeah, and actually right here in Vegas, it was kind of a big development uh, on Monday night when Colorado held off the Golden Knights and won 2-1. to Colorado basically grabbed control of their destiny again. They have two games left with the Kings. Vegas has a game at San Jose, but basically Vegas was just, you know, if they could win in regulation, not only would they have won the West, they'd have won the president's trophy. And now Colorado, two games against the Kings, you know, they're going to be a big favorite in both of those games. So the West becomes really wild in terms of, Colorado could grab the division now, and that would mean a first-round matchup with St. Louis. Uh, Maybe be careful what you wish for because Colorado plays great against Minnesota. 
Vegas really struggles against Minnesota. So there's actually, uh, you know, these are interesting games with a lot riding on it here at the end of the regular season, specifically in the West. Basically, the other divisions, we know the participants with some jockeying for home ice and, uh, you know, a handful of waiting to find out exactly what the series will look like. But for the most part, we know the big picture. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, we already have our first playoff series scheduled, and that's Boston and Washington starting here on Saturday. Ironically enough, those two teams play each other tonight in a game that does not matter at all whatsoever. So we'll see what kind of lineup Washington puts out with, you know, Oshie's been kind of in and out of the lineup, the passing of his father. He's kind of been battling some injuries. Ovechkin's been out. Backstrom's been out. And Washington up against the salary cap, much like what happened to Vegas last night, uh, you know, they just don't really have the ability to call players up. So teams have been playing with 15 guys, 18 guys, shortened rosters here. It's been absolutely ridiculous for the most part at the tail end of the regular season here. But Brian, I guess with that series already scheduled, and as I said, that meaningless game here tonight between Boston and Washington, since that one's already on the docket for us, what do you think about that series here where Boston 4-1-2 and against Washington so far in the regular season? I really thought Washington was kind of flying under the radar, uh, built to do good things in the playoffs. The goaltending now is a bit of a bit of a question mark. If Vinicek's the kid, uh, the guy they're going to go with, but from a leadership perspective, power play with Ovechkin, back class recently won a cup. I thought Washington was kind of flying under the radar. That being said, Boston, they just win. You know, you look at them some nights, you go, how are they? How do they do this? Well, they just win. And they're very top-heavy. There's clearly a defined edge in goal for Boston coming into the series. And the real question mark, and you add to the list, it's a mash unit. Wilson got hurt. Uh, he, had a, he got banged on the knee the other night. So, you know, there's not much time for these guys to, you know, put band-aids on their boo-boos so Washington's coming in not 100 percent so it actually leans a little bit well maybe maybe even more than a little bit you would lean Boston's way I, I I'm a fan of Washington but they're not healthy well and something else I think it's really interesting to talk about here especially with all the familiarity between these two teams having played each other a ton here during the regular season Washington games averaged about 6.4 goals per game Boston game is about 5.5 and you talk about you know the kind of the style of play that you'd like to have in the playoffs you would think Boston with that very tight defensive style they play a lot of lower scoring games they're better in net than Washington as you mentioned would you prefer that kind of slow it down not a lot of transition style that Boston plays or kind of the more wide open freewheeling style of Washington well it, it would come down to who actually dictates the style, which style wins out. I do believe Washington is capable of playing both ways. And, you know, if their power plays clicking with Backstrom and Ovechkin and Carlson, you know, they can, they can win games with, with special teams, but you can't, not shine the spotlight on the goalie matchup that you're going to have, you know, Rask against Vinicek. So Boston kind of gets a running head start every game, to be honest with you. 
Well, then in the other series coming out of that East division, kind of a similar thing where, you know, Pittsburgh, they've scored 196 goals, a lot of offense for them. The Islanders, they've only scored 156. So 40 fewer goals for the Islanders, but they also allowed 28 fewer goals, 128 goals allowed for the Islanders, the second lowest in the NHL, only Vegas better in that department. It's just the style of play that Barry Trotz's team has. What do you think about Penguins Islanders in that first round matchup, Brian? Well, I mean, it's pretty similar to what we just got done talking about. I love the Islanders. I Their grit, the structure, the coach. Barlamov is a monster, but who's going to score? Now, that's been their case for a long time. They made the trade. They got Paul Mary. They got uh, Zajac over from Jersey, and neither guy has really been that impactful. But I think the games are correlated. I think Islanders win low-scoring games. Penguins can win high-scoring games. You know, I, at Pittsburgh, it's a remarkable season, and you're sitting there going, well, they're just outscoring teams because their goaltending is really just downright ordinary. But I, it's it's the Islanders' inability to score that is really, really the red flag. I mean, this is a team, if they had a handful of guys, I mean, that, it's not like, you know, I love this Sezikis kid. Well, you're talking a kid on the third line that you're sitting there drooling over that he's a great player in the postseason. So, you know, guys like that are going to have to step up to light the lamp for the Islanders. Uh, can, can they can they contain the offense of Pittsburgh? They've got the goaltending to do it. They're just nights I just see they won't be able to shoot it in the ocean. It, it you know, if you'd have talked to me at the beginning of the year, I'd say oh, the I take the Islanders in a heartbeat. But, man, they are they are just really squeezing the stick offensively. Well, and something else I think is really interesting about that series here, Pittsburgh 22-4-2 and at home, just 15-12-1 mm-hmm. on the road. The Islanders at home 21-4-3, and just 11-13-4 on the road. So both of these teams faring much, much better on home ice. Pittsburgh obviously gets it by virtue of winning the division, but maybe this is one where – you know, the home teams hold serve, at least based on what we've seen from their home road splits so far. Oh, no, it's a compelling matchup. It, it, it really is offense versus defense. But you sit there and say, by a good margin, you know, the Islanders have the goalie. But, I mean, how do you sneeze at saying Sidney Crosby's on the other side? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, it's a coin flip. It really is. I, I think that's a that's a terrific series. I just... At the moment, I'm just I'm really leery of the Islanders' ability to score. And even though you're going to be facing a great goaltender, you know the back class of guys like Crosby and Malkin and you know Latang. Beyond that, it's kind of role guys for Pittsburgh. But I mean, I, I think even if a goalie's standing on his head, the, the Pittsburgh can get you know two or three a night. And I can't say that about the Islanders any night. Well, as we look at the Central Division here, there's no better first-round series. I don't care what happens in the West Division. There's no better first-round series than Florida and Tampa Bay. Panthers have ripped off six in a row to finish second here in this division. They will be at home against Tampa Bay whenever that series starts. Tampa Bay struggling a little bit down the stretch here. They've dropped three straight, but we all know the talent level that the Lightning have. So, now, what a great first-round matchup this is, Brian. 
Well, there's no doubt. And you would say, well, the big winner in all of this is Carolina. But Nashville, 7-2-1 and one in their last 10, and those are always the dangerous teams that played playoff hockey just to get in, and they can be dangerous. Before the season started, my there was were no conferences per se, but on the premise, you know, what we had done in the past, my top two picks were Carolina and Colorado. So I'm a big fan of Carolina. In Florida with Quinville, it's one of these things where, like, you know, okay, they're there, but the Panthers are the Panthers, and always in the last month of the season they kind of wane. Well, not only did they not wane, they went nuts, and they handled the lightning heads up. They're on a six-game winning streak coming in. So the X factor here really is Quinville, and the, but the Lightning have backless. And, and boy, oh, boy, I'm telling you, they don't like each other. And I think it's great for hockey that all of a sudden that regional rivalry actually becomes a rivalry because both teams are good. To me, I think the biggest question in this series, and it does seem like Chris Dreger is going to be the starter here for the Panthers in this series, I would think. I don't think they go with Bobrovsky. I don't think they go with the youngster and Spencer Knight. The question is, you know, can he perform on the same level as Andre Vasilevsky? You know, I think the goaltending could be the major X factor in that series. And Tampa Bay just, they play such a tremendous style of hockey. They're almost always in control of the game. I know they've kind of slipped up a little bit here late in the season. But, you know, to me, even though Florida comes in the hotter team, I need them to prove it to me. I, I would have to take Tampa Bay in this series, if anything. Oh, I I agree with that wholeheartedly. And on top of it, and we're waiting to see what it looks like, but you know, does Kucherov parachute out of the sky onto the ice? The MVP from last year. I believe I did see on Twitter that Kucherov and Stamkos are expected to play in the playoffs, at least well, at the start. Imagine that. Okay, the playoffs are starting. <laughs> Let's see. What can we do to you know just shore things up? Well, well, how about uh, the, the league MVP shows up for the first game of the year? <laughs> I mean, I, talk about a, a team getting a jump and a bounce. No, absolutely. Let's let's take a look at a couple of these other divisions here real quickly. Now, these ones aren't set in stone, like the Central and the East are. All the Central and East playoff pairings have already been decided. We know Toronto is the number one seed in the North. Edmonton is the number two seed. Still waiting to see who the three and four, or how the three and four set up between Winnipeg and Montreal, both of them have already clinched playoff spots, and both of them playing really poorly. Winnipeg's lost nine of ten. Montreal's lost four in a row. So it doesn't seem like either one of these teams playing all that well here down the stretch. And Brian, I, I mean, maybe we can kind of keep this short, but I mean, is there any way that Toronto and Edmonton don't meet in that second round? Sure, <laughs> sure. Uh, it would be. If this actually happened, it would be the most typical Toronto thing ever where they've been really, really, really good and the goaltending is, you know, okay. The defense is okay, but their offense is ridiculous. But basically for weeks and weeks on end, they were going to play Montreal and they they just they handle Montreal. And Montreal's not been playing that great and they're in free fall all of a sudden winnipeg is falling out of the sky 
one and nine in their last ten. It's it's ugly. It's hideous. But when the playoffs begin, it's a new season. Everybody starts zero zero. If Montreal ever passed Winnipeg, they're only a point behind. Winnipeg's got two left. Montreal's only got a game left. If if Winnipeg fell to the fourth spot in the North and ended up hooking up with Toronto, you got Hellebuck. And believe me, as bad as Winnipeg has been, he's a goaltender that can win a series. So I think Winnipeg, even though they look like they have run for the bus, flip a switch, act like none of it's all happened in the past, you start punching each other in the mouth. If you've got the better goalie, you still got a chance. I think Winnipeg is the danger in the North. All right. As we take a look at the West division here, the only thing that's decided is that St. Louis will be the number four seed. Minnesota plays St. Louis twice. Colorado plays the Kings twice, as you mentioned. And Vegas has one game left here against San Jose. Squandered the opportunity to go ahead and take care of their affairs last night and take down the top spot in this West division. So with that in mind, just sort of break this all down for us in terms of, you know, what you think about the potential matchups. Obviously there's big incentive to win this division and play St. Louis who is far and away behind the other three teams here in this division. So just kind of, how do you see this first round shake it out? And, you know, as somebody out there in Vegas, I mean, who do they not want to see in the first round? Well, I would say this to you. I put a future on St. Louis at 55 to one, three weeks ago. They are far behind in the standings. But St. Louis is 6-1-3 and three in their last 10, recently won a Stanley Cup, and Bennington's playing lights out. They are not a walkover in any way, shape, or form. Vegas has really struggled with Minnesota since the day they've come into the league. It's about the only team that's been their kryptonite. Colorado owns Minnesota. So how this shakes out in the final couple of games, there's a big part of me says Colorado you know, wins these two games against the Kings. And I would, listen, Vegas plays San Jose tomorrow night. San Jose's a, I would think, possibly, their number's up for that game. Let me real quick look. I would venture, I guess there are. Let's see, tomorrow, is it up yet? Uh, yeah, Vegas seen... at San Jose. Vegas is minus a dollar ninety-five. Yeah, it's Flurry's turn to play, but I think you can make a case. Vegas was really banged up. Only went with the ten forwards last night. The Boar was frustrated after the game. San Jose hates Vegas. San Jose, I could honestly see San Jose going. Come on, this is our playoff game. You know, let's cost these guys the division. I can actually see San Jose showing up in this game, and I think Vegas has, maybe has a bit of a letdown off off the letting the game get away against Colorado. I I think honestly, San Jose may be a danger to them even tomorrow night, but it's Colorado. I think minus three forty five, two games at home against the Kings to win the President's Trophy, and Grubauer played lights out in Vegas. It, it's I'd be hard-pressed to see L.A. win in one of those games, to be honest with you. So who comes out of that whole thing here, do you think, in that West division? I mean, do you think it's still Colorado? Yeah, I mean, the Vegas and Colorado are dead even. And 
there's nice sometimes it's with Colorado. It's just it, it just doesn't seem right. And I'm not as high on Colorado now as I had been. I, I mean this sincerely. I think St. Louis is a threat. Bennington is playing terrific, and they just won a cup a couple of years ago. And this is eerily similar to how they won the cup the last time. I'm not saying they're winning the cup. I'm not saying they're getting out of the West. But they are. you're not going to roll over these guys. I mean, if you look at the disparity in the standings and you go, oh, yeah, well, yeah, Vegas, 80 points, and St. Louis only is 59. You know, you're thinking, you know, it should be a $4 favorite. That is not the case here. St. Louis is actually a, a real dangerous team. And Minnesota, don't sleep on what they've done. The, that team with the Kaprizov kit, they don't have an ounce of quit in them. And if Colorado were to win this division, Vegas is going to be could really be kicking themselves because those are great games. But Minnesota just believes they can beat Vegas. The West is really intriguing. I think in the regular season, it was flat out boring with Arizona, the Kings, the Sharks, and the Ducks in there. And I think everything's been easy to a degree for for the top teams because it's such a top heavy division. But now we're talking meat and potatoes. All right, good thoughts there on the NHL playoffs, and we'll update that as they go forward here on ATS Radio. But I want to get over to the golf side of things here real quickly for the AT&T Byron Nelson. And this is down at TPC Craig Ranch, a new course here. This is a course that has hosted the Nationwide and Web.com Tour finales, part of the Q School as well. But it turns out that the players did not like Trinity Forest. They had a four-year agreement with the PGA Tour which the PGA Tour backed out of after two years. Last year's tournament, of course, canceled because of COVID-19. So now we go to TPC Craig Ranch for the last event in advance of the PGA Championship next week at the Ocean Course at Kiowa Island. Bryson DeChambeau, your 8-1 co-favorite with John Rahm. Jordan Spieth, 11-1. Dustin Johnson was in this field, but withdrew, citing some knee pain. So that kind of bumped down some of the other guys, like Daniel Berger at 17-1. Scotty Scheffler, 19. Masters champ Hideki Matsuyama at 20. Bunch of guys on down from there. But, Brian, you know, we got a lot of guys that haven't played a lot lately. We got a lot of guys mostly just looking to kind of fix some things going into the PGA Championship next week. And we've got a new course that we don't really know anything about. So what are you doing with this tournament this week? Well, Sun Kang is the defending champion. And as you said, they didn't play this tournament last year. The irony is Sung Kang's the defending champion and the tournament's moving to his home course. He's a member of this club. So and I'm he's just 350 to one. I I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, uh it's interesting. I always when they're in Texas, I think you have to look at guys from Texas and for a starting point, and you look at the guys up top, DeShambo, he just flew home to Dallas halfway through the tournament in Charlotte. So DeShambo's sleeping in his own bed. Speed's 9-1. to one. Rom's here. Matsuyama, I believe, at 20-1, to one, I would be fading him in matchups. We talked about this on my show yesterday with you. Guys that win the first major, uh, something like the Masters, uh, you know, and he's an older guy. I don't think he'd be as prone to it as maybe some of the other guys. But I think the air will be out of the balloon for a while with a guy like Matsuyama. If he comes back and wins, God bless him. But uh, I'd be looking to fade him. 
Zalatoris is everybody talks about him week in, week out. He's from Dallas. Scotty Scheffler at 20 to 1. I hate the price, but Scotty Scheffler, we know what he did in the match play in Austin. Also, Sergio played well in Austin. He lives in Austin. Sergio's a guy worth a peak at 40 to 1. Ryan Palmer's another Texas guy who's always there, but he just can't win. I mean, if they if you if they give you a you know guy to win lead the first round, put Ryan Palmer in there. It's you know what happens on Sunday's the problem. But I got, I got some other guys. I think Westwood was on a on a crazy run. And like my God, you're like, how is he sustaining this week after week after week after week? And his his wife was on the bag, and it was uh, you know it was really impressive. Westwood from England, he plays a low ball flight. I think he can handle the wins in Texas. I think Westwood's worth a peak at a nice price. And I threw a grenade in there, Sebastian Munoz, at 110 to one. But I, you know, I, I think you do look at the guys from Texas though. And there are many unknowns, as you said, because we don't know the core. So, as I always do, I'm, I'll swing for some larger plays. Watch Thursday, Friday, and Friday night. Say, I found my guy. I hope, I hope I was right on the front end that I'm a contender with the long shot. Yeah, and something else I thought was kind of interesting about this tournament here, you've got guys like Peter Uline, uh, Antoine Rosner. Uh, you've got John Catlin, guys that have come over from the European Tour that have had wins recently or have at least been playing very well coming over stateside in advance of the PGA championship. And those are guys that, you know, are at big triple digit prices here in this tournament as well. I'll throw three names out to you here. Matthew Fitzpatrick's 21 to one. I know you kind of threw some cold water on my thoughts on him on your show yesterday. No, I love him. I hate the price. No, that's fair. I mean, I think Fitzpatrick's a guy who, you know, he drives the ball. Well, he's very good strokes gained approach and, you kind of default to some of those usual stats on a course that you don't really know. So Fitzpatrick was one that I looked at. Ryan Palmer, you mentioned a Texas guy. He's a guy that I took a piece of this week. Also Doug Gim, who's top 10 in strokes gained approach. So you know, a guy that was playing pretty well at the Masters before he kind of uh, completely fell apart. But a guy that, you know, I think he's got the iron play to maybe be dangerous here on a course that a lot of guys won't really know. As I mentioned, Sun Kang was 350 to one. He's down to 275 to one at DraftKings now. So somebody must have realized that he's a member here and and kind of made a play. The last guy I'll mention here, 150 to one, runner up in the web.com final back in 2012 at this course, James Hahn. 150 to one's not a bad look, I don't think, here for James Hahn. So kind of throwing some darts around the board here for this one. Not really sure how this course plays out. Uh, but you know, next week the PGA championship. Uh, should be a much more interesting event. The last thing I'm going to mention here real quickly is I bet Brooks Koepka to miss the cut at two to one. So no at plus 200. The only event he's played is the Masters. He played the first 36 holes, missed the cut, didn't look particularly good moving around, trying to get some reps in here in advance of the PGA Championship. But you talk about guys that are rusty and coming off the shelf. I don't know how you can expect Koepka to do a whole lot this week. Uh, okay, I'm gonna I'll throw one at you. Uh, the the three guys I played, I just went to double check what I actually did. I, I got Westwood at 65. I did take a little flyer at 120 to one on Munoz, but the one that I said, how do you pass this up? And you know when you watch the broadcast and you're an idiot like me, and you know you you watch the golf so religiously. Keith Mitchell. He was right there last week. I mean, you know, it, it looked like he was home and cooled. 
But, you know, he had a play with McElroy in the final round. McElroy stared him down. McElroy gets the win. But in that tournament, and I, I it's escaping me. I could look it up. But whoever Mitchell's partner was in the team tournament, the, the Zurich Open, his partner was texting. Who was it he was texting? It was either, uh, was it Faldo? Maybe it was Faldo or somebody on the broadcast. And the guy that was his partner in the Zurich Open said, if that was a regular event, that wasn't a team event, he said Mitchell would have won by 10 shots. He said, I dragged him down. He said, I've not seen a guy drive the ball like Mitchell. And he's in terrific current form, and he's 55 to 1. I, you know, all these guys that are, you know, like you said, Kepka's 22 to 1. Well, well Mitchell, Mitchell coming in with a form cycle, to me, is a way better play than, than a – uh, you know, a Kepka a Fitzpatrick, sorry, or a, a burger off the shelf. I mean, watch out for Mitchell just because he's in that window of really good form. You know, that's fair. I know you talk about those form cycles a lot, and it is something that you pay very close attention to. One thing I want to ask you about here, Brian, and, and we don't have post-position draws. I know you don't have past performances in front of you yet, but the pre hey, can, can I interrupt? Can I interrupt for one second? Yeah, go ahead. One second. Don't, don't, don't hate me. A pretty good event over in Europe on the European tour. It's the British Masters. And the couple guys I took a shot with, I just felt felt compelled to throw this out there. Jamie Donaldson at 41 to 1, Eddie Pepperell at 40 to 1. You know, two Brits that in Donaldson's form is coming back. He was a hot potato about three years ago. And we know golf, when you lose it, you lose it. But Donaldson's back in pretty good form. And I took a swing with uh, Jorge Campillo at 100 to 1. Uh, There's a Spaniard who's he's capable of making some noise. But th- this week is actually a real – I love the European Tour. I, I watch it a lot on the weekend. But this is actually a really good tournament. And uh, one I, I just maybe think, you know, to a degree, if you like betting golf, pay attention to the European Tour a little bit because some of their bigger tournaments are coming up. But this one, don't don't sleep on the Brits making noise on their home court. All right. No, good thoughts. Sorry sir. I'm sorry. Opportunities. No, it's fine. Not, not a problem at all. I do want to ask you about the Preakness stakes here real quickly. You know, the draw post draw today at four o'clock Eastern time. So that'll be right while you're doing Vegas hockey hotline out there at one o'clock Pacific. Um, what are we looking for here? You know, I'm not sure if you've looked at the entries kind of handicapped this race at all here so far, but you know, what are you kind of looking for in terms of the Preakness draws? Is there, you know, a post that you want a horse to get? Are you starting to kind of put together your thoughts on this one? Well, the short answer is no. I'm waiting to see how this whole thing with Medina's spirit plays out. Uh, Pimlico, it's a shorter race, mile and three sixteenths. Generally, it's speed favoring, and Medina's spirit would be very much part of the equation again. I was... See, the, the real rub with this, there's a lot of things about this that are just nauseating. Black eye for the sport. But you you had four across the track in the derby. You're like, oh, my God, this will be a great Preakness field. And a lot of these horses just say, hey, we're going to freshen up and go to the Belmont, and you're going to get some new shooters in here. But Rock Your World was the one that was 9-2 to two when the bell rang at Churchill. 
who would have been on or near the lead with Medina Spirit, and the horse got wiped out in the starting gate. I really thought they'd come back with Rock Your World. And I said, I thought Rock Your World would actually be the favorite in this race. But the way it all played out, everybody just said, now we're going to freshen up for the Belmont. Now you got this thing going on with Medina Spirit and how this all gets sorted out. The post position draws this afternoon at 4 Eastern. You know, what's ultimately going to happen with this horse? I think Baffert says he's not going. If the second test comes in positive, does Maryland uphold the suspension for Baffert, which means the, and then they try to say, well, the horse can't run. Well, then the lawyers get involved and say, well, the horse, we can run the horse under somebody else. And then they're going to be poking and prodding this horse. It'll be like a pinata before the race, testing him before the race. It's, it's just ugly in a lot of ways, but it may set it up for something stupid to happen this week. But I, to be perfectly honest, at the time of our taping, we'll do a video for you. But we got to see how this thing all unfolds. Then we got to see the post position draw. And I think a, a new shooter may ab- absolutely be in play. Well, and it's one of those things, too, where, you know, Medina Spirit, if entered in this race, looks like a pretty sizable favorite based on some of the the morning, you know, the look ahead line odds that we've seen and all that, where you're kind of seeing something like concert tour as the second favorite in that eight or nine to one range. So this looks to be a very wide open race if Medina spirits not in it. So, you know, maybe that high degree of variance kind of gives us some opportunities here in this short race. But the one big takeaway for me, Brian, is that this looks like it's going to be one of the you know least compelling preakness stakes that we've had in a long time. Well, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, here's the thing. Why did this take so long? You know, I mean, you tested the horse two weeks ago. Well, why did this take so long? No, I don't know. So, I mean, no, if this is found out the day after the race, what's Mandalone thinking? Oh, yeah, well, let's, we'll run that horse because because the, the Triple Crown's dead. You know what I mean? If 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 if, if that this ruling or that this test came back, uh, why if it happened on Monday or Tuesday after the Derby, now you got two weeks. Or you think Mandaloon isn't running in this race? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the hell took so long. I don't know. It's a good question. It's a really good question. The, the one thing I will say is it's setting up for an outstanding Belmont. But you know, we got three weeks of time until we kind of wait and see what that field looks like, and we will talk about that at that point in time here as well but real quick nascar at dover from one kind of horsepower to another nascar at dover on the mile track here for the Dean 400 and i don't know man this one looks pretty simple to me where martin truex jr over his last 10 races has averaged a top five finish two wins eight top fives 4.3 the average finish for truex Larson, a win in five top fives over his last eight races here. Harvick, a couple of wins, five top fives. I don't think we're going to get any kind of surprise winner here this weekend at Dover, Brian. Well, I think in the next few weeks, what you look for, and you brought up a great point, there's road courses are coming. But the two, there's three. Two, I know it's going to happen. The other one, I'm not so sure. And that's Elliott's yet to win. And he's great on the road courses. Hamlin's been knocking on the door, has yet to win. And points-wise, these guys are going to be fine. But you don't want to leave anything to chance. 
it's Harvick that remains the mystery. And the one guy, Larson, I think runs good every week now. So actually, Larson might not be a bad play to, to win the whole thing because he's real competitive each and every week. But I'd be looking for Elliott and Hamlin to win in the very near future. Yeah, the only three weeks where Larson's been uncompetitive, the Daytona road course, the Bristol dirt race, and Talladega, which, you know, you can draw a line through at least two of those because the dirt sure. race was kind of a shit show. And then Talladega, obviously, we all know how that kind of goes. I wouldn't expect Larson to do well on the road courses here coming up, but on the oval tracks, he's very good. He'll be dangerous at Charlotte, much like Chase Elliott will. So, you know, I like Elliott. I think Larson's got a good chance this week, but Elliott's probably my favorite play of the week and it is hard to look away from Truex uh you know with the three wins you know he led the most laps at Bristol in the dirt race even though he didn't win it uh he's just been great week in and week out for the most part so I don't know I'm I'm not going too far down the board here this week I guess is is the overall takeaway here yeah the the Truex thing that was hilarious by the way last week I don't know if you had a chance to watch the race but Truex dominant you know he's what he he led the the number escapes me but he's a 240 laps or something ridiculous had like a 10 12 second lead the whole race and then out of nowhere larson got it together and started coming and all of a sudden with about 15 20 laps to go truex talking to his spotter larson shows up in his rearview mirror and truex goes is that him <laughs> like and all of a sudden the last 20 laps got interesting but truex almost drove off the road when he saw larson in the rearview mirror because he had been so far ahead but 248 laps led for Truex last week out of 293. So uh, a dominant performance, to say the least, there at Darlington. And a great performance, as always, on today's show from Brian Blessing, the host uh, of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey segue. Hotline. Look Thank at you. you. Yeah, well done. I've done this show a time or two. I think I, <laughs> I kind of got it down at this point in time. And speaking of which, you've done your shows a time or two as well, and uh, they're always great. And where can people check them out? Uh, we are on Sports Grid Radio Network Series 204, 2 to 4 Eastern weekdays. Uh, today, Vinny Maliula will join us and Tony Neville from Treasure Island. So we, we love getting the sportsbook directors from Vegas on. And then Vegas Hockey Hotline is 1 Pacific at KSHP.com. And we are really heating things up here with the home stretch for the Stanley Cup playoffs. You can get all the show links, all the information on my Twitter at Brian Blessing. Well, make sure and we do fall. videos for uh, a certain somebody I know. Yeah, we'll have uh, the Offensive Rookie of the Year and Defensive Rookie of the Year videos posted over on our ATS YouTube page here this afternoon. Brian, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for joining me. Appreciate your time as always, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All right, pal. Always fun. There you go. There's Brian Blessing again, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Follow him on Twitter at Brian Blessing. Coming up on Thursday, another edition of The Better's Box, my MLB betting podcast. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and I will talk to you again on Thursday.